Well, welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. As usual, I have an opportunity to meet the coolest people. And boy, has God been good to me. I think who we meet and the conversations we have shape us. Ryan Frederick's here today as CEO of HERE. He's an author, strategy consultant, specializing in place, health, longevity. His work's been highlighted on CBS News, Washington Post, Forbes, and other outlets. He's also the bestseller of um, the best-selling author of Right Place, Right Time, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Home for Your Second Life. But he's taken that work and continued to grow as it, as it grew in him and with him. And then with people responding to some of the new work he's doing. Our mutual friend, Fred Smith, founder of The Gathering, introduced us. We had coffee at the cool hotel in Austin, the Hotel Magdalena. And um, it's just such a, a perfect uh opportunity to get to connect and have a deep conversation. And I knew I wanted to have and share him with uh, with you, our redemptification community. Ryan, thanks for being here today. Oh, my pleasure, John. I've been looking forward to this. It's incredible. Um, you know, how did this work come about? Like, what makes you all of a sudden wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, I think I need to write a book about, about the right place and the right time. And and then how, how how did this come to be? Yeah, you know, John, I, I think one of my gifts is in strategic thinking, like strategy. Mm-hmm. But there was no strategy that led me to this. It was, uh, you know, a number of life turns and then just incrementally seeing what you're passionate about, what insights you have, and just see where God takes you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I studied electrical engineering in college. Was in Silicon Valley. I mean, I studied engineering to avoid reading and writing. That was the whole idea. <laughs> and and then yeah, I worked in Silicon Valley for a few years. And then there was a I actually joined a company just as it was going public, early employee. I thought this business thing was was pretty easy. And then we had a uh, scan ethical scandal mm. in our in our company. About a handful of people went to jail. Uh, they cooked the books. A couple of people did insider trading went uh, back to business school uh, at Stanford and, and there they encourage you to really think big. Mm. And I took a step back and said, where, where do I want to uh, put my energies and heart into? And I got really curious about uh, longevity. Mm. People living longer and what does that mean? And, and what are the implications for place? At the time, I didn't really... I didn't have a clue about place. It didn't mean much to me. Uh, but for a summer, I had a summer internship at Sunrise Senior Living. Mm-hmm. Wrote to a bunch of CEOs, didn't know any of them. Only one guy responded. And so I, I, I went out uh, to DC from the Bay Area for a summer, but I actually lived in a senior living community for a month in Atlanta. Uh, I was the only person under 75, only male in my wing. I couldn't talk my wife into joining me. So I was left unsupervised. Huh? And I, I got unsolicited brownies and cookies and brunch and dinner invitations. And anyway, opened my eyes to a couple of things, the implications of people living longer and how, how place uh, shapes us. And over the last, that was close to 20 years ago now. And as life has unfolded and I've thought more about where our society is headed implications of people living longer uh, and really focusing a bit on how shape, how, how place 
directly impacts our physical and emotional and psychological needs, but hmm. how it indirectly has such an impact on where we find purpose, our social connections or not, our physical well-being, financial well-being, spirituality certainly is part of that too, you know, as you link it out. So hmm. I see it. I see this place thing, which I can unpack in just a second. What do I mean by that? Mm. But I see place as is this huge thing that impacts our lives in profound ways, yet it's often hidden in plain sight. We don't <laughs> we don't see it. We don't give it its yeah. its its due due value. So let's uh let's pause here a moment and ask. I wanted to ask what. Did you expect going to live in, in, in a senior living facility? Sorry. Yeah, I. Uh, so, so in Atlanta, you're going to go live yes. at a senior living facility. You have yeah. these expectations of going in this population. Yeah. And, and you go and you go and and then what what blew you away? Like what was like, I never saw this. Well, what I would say, and maybe this isn't shouldn't be too surprising, but. For your listeners, if you or someone you know is in their kind of late 20s, needs a little bit of a confidence boost, a uh, guy in particular, just go move into senior living. You'll get so much attention. Uh, as, as I mentioned <laughs> You were a rock star. When I was you a rock star. I was <laughs> totally, I was a total rock star. Yeah, no, I was, I was, Especially I wasn't hurt with for older ladies. I'm pretty, that's one thing I told Ash. I said, really old ladies, like 80s, think I'm hot as can be. Yeah. And uh, young yeah. ladies don't. But I said, to yeah. older ladies, young guys are like, man, y'all got a future. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I can relate to that. So, no, it's, it's a, I, I, you know, so I asked for it. I, because mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a term you may be familiar with called design thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's used, uh, it's kind of made famous by, uh, like the computer mouse right. uh, and in Stanford, they have something called the D school, which uses it. A number of companies uh, uh, use it for innovation. It's pretty simple. It's basically you have an hypothesis about an idea mm -hmm. and then you build a prototype of that idea. And then you go see people engage in it, like really use it. Uh, and then you learn and typically you then, um, you modify your prototype based on the new information. Well, in a way, this was taking a page from design thinking. Hmm. It was, you might read studies of what people say they like when they get older or what it's like to get older, but it's entirely different. Just go immerse yourself among people with an open mind. And 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 so I, yeah, it was- I, Okay, expectations was, ahead. Like what were you thinking you were gonna see and then I, and learn and what did you learn? Well, I think there's some level of like ageism that we all face, like, oh, it's the old people. <laughs> and, 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 and the truth is like, as we age, yeah, we change in different ways. There, there's your future self is different than your present self, but everyone has stories to tell. Everyone has, as, as stories that are worth telling. And I would say that was one of the pieces, John, as I got to hear like stories from people where they were the principal actors and of a different era. And I, I didn't, I, I, I don't think I necessarily appreciated the stories I would hear. I think there's another thing too, that surprised me. I, I have a blog on the here.life website and mm -hmm. 
every other week, kind of right, really write about healthy longevity and, and often where it intersects place. But there's something called the U-shaped happiness curve. I wrote, wrote about this a, a, a little while ago, and I saw it when I was there for that summer. And that is, we sometimes we were, we're programmed in our society that, you know, you're in your 20s and you're running around and you have no aches in your backs or your knees. And, and that must be the best time in life. Well, that's actually not what this research indicates. Research indicates is on self-reported well-being, where people say where they personally are happiest. You have a certain level in your 20s. And then you go through somewhat of a precipitous decline into your <laughs> mid forties and, and early fifties. And, and the nadir is yeah, late forties, early fifties. I like to think it has something to do with uh, having teenage kids in the house. And then, then it starts to climb up and, and in, in, in your seventies and eighties uh, in the U S you're, you're happier than you've ever been. And so I think there's, there is, and it's actually a global phenomenon, this U-shaped happiness curve, the timing of it and the, and the grading of the curves vary a little bit by, by country, but, but the story is the same. And I think part of that is it's somewhat uh, cliche, John, but there's a lot of wisdom people get later in life. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that wisdom, you're able to sort out like the things that matter and don't matter. And so I saw a lot of happy people. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and I think maybe I shouldn't be surprised by this, but there was, I think at least a tinge of sadness in the sense that there is in a number of these communities, there's a lack of intergenerational interaction, which is one of the reasons I think I got so much attention is like, Oh, here's this young, you know, young guy. Hmm. We don't necessarily see many young people, particularly, you know, living amongst us. So those are a couple of the observations, things that exceeded uh, or at least were different than expectations. I love it. You know, I have a couple of comments on that. First, my oldest mentor is 83 and he's been mentoring and discipling me for 28 years. So we've known one another a very long time and we're very close. Um, he just moved last week into an assisted living from his own place. And just watching that, thinking of reassignment, I said, they got a whole new audience here. They yes. don't know what they're getting into. But <laughs> one thing I did say about, about and I think your your comment about wisdom, what I've realized is for me, when we go into cities, when we go into places, even when we go on construction projects, I look for wisdom, not only where there's wealth, but a lot of times wisdom comes alone. And yes. so I'll go to the oldest concrete man on the job who's been there 25 years and nobody Nobody even thinks to talk to him. And he, he mainly handles like the form work or something. I'll say, if you were, if I was not acting stupid and cared what you thought, what would you tell me I'm missing? You know, I know I'm missing stuff. You're, you're way wiser than me at this. Well, usually they'll unload the truth on me. Son, the way you're going about this project, I'd turn this, I did this, I do this. I said, well, that's what we're going to do because you know way more than me. And, and there's wisdom all around us. Yep. But if we look at it only where it comes to wealth or success, I, th I think we're looking in a very narrow um, lens. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, and I think that's an interesting exercise of how do you track down wisdom? And hmm. it's not necessar necessarily correlated to the number of zeros in your bank statement. Well, uh, there. If you think of that that facility you were in, that that was full of libraries of wisdom. Yep. And one day the door is going to shut, and we have no more access to the library. And so I think it's very important for us. Like my mentor, I've been recording the conversations, 
And I've been taking notes on everything he's taught me for 20 plus years. Yeah. And, and it's my special gift, not only to learn from it, but also to share it with his kids and grandkids. Right. All right. So double clicking on place a little bit. Think about, tell us what you say places. I mean, we think we may know what place is, right? Yeah. We, we, it's important to have a, a working definition. So we're right. on the same page. And I think from a physical perspective, we often think about place just as our four walls. Mm. Oh, this is my home. These four walls that I have. Uh, but, but place is a lot more than that. It's, it's, it is your four walls, but it's also the block that you live in. It's the neighborhood you're part of. It's the metropolitan area that you're part of. Are you in an urban, suburban, rural place? that has an influence. What, uh, what state, what region of the country, what country, what region of the world, what world even? Like our lived experience is a composite of all of those things. Reminds me of Google Earth. Like when you go over it, it goes way down to that place, totally. the way you say it. I haven't really thought of it, I guess, in such a, in such a global mindset. We're impacted by all that. I love Google Earth, by the way, but yeah. we're impacted by all of it. You know, you think we live in Austin, Texas, and mm -hmm. it's uh, it's hot right now. Now, no matter where you fall on this climate change uh, perspective, it does seem as though our 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 uh, we are getting more variable weather. It seems to be warmer, and that's a that's an Earth phenomenon. And being, you know, Mac, particularly impacted in some places than others. But then you, you kind of go down to the neighborhood level. You know, you might love your, let's say you have a house. You might love your house, but you may find that the neighbors that you used to be buddies with, close with, that they, they changed over. You don't know your neighbors, you know, the way that you used to. You might find that your neighborhood's not as safe as it once was. You might find that the politics of where you are at that state level are either more attractive or less attractive than they once were to you. You know, there, there are so many layers to this, John, that end up impacting your day-to-day -day lived experience. And particularly as we'll get into later on, as you live, as you're living longer, uh, the impact of this place has a either positive or negative has a compounded impact on your life. But going back to the place piece, I think it, it is, it's multi, it's multi-layered. And it's important that I think people see it that way because what I, what I advocate, what I talk about in the book, what I talk about in the other tools I've created and mechanisms to share ideas is that one of the opportunities in our lives is to be proactive and cognizant of whether we're in the right place at the right time. So how do we know? I mean, you're, that seems like now that you've laid it out, yeah, a very complex thing to decide, right? It, yes, it can be complex. And, and, and one of the questions that comes up is, is it worth leaning into the complexity? Like, mm. why, why bother? You know, let's, why bother? And I think the reason why it's worth bothering uh, or spending the time on it uh, is, is twofold. I would say, uh, as educated as people are living longer, particularly those who are educated, when you look at the data, uh, 
living longer is not necessarily desirable insofar as you have a commensurately long like health span and also wealth span. Like, are you healthy over that period of time? Or do you also have financial resources that meet, you know, what you're looking for in terms of quality of life over that period of time? There's, uh, in some of my work, I, 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 I know that there've been some consumer studies around skilled nursing and consumers, they fear skilled nursing more than death itself. And, and that's because this idea of being in a spot which uh, most people view is not necessarily one that nudges us to, to thriving, which is a whole nother conversation about how we've handled people at that stage of life. But point I'm making is that number of people say, I'd rather, I'd rather if, it, if, if it means living longer, but that's my quality of life, I'd actually prefer not to. But when you look at the research around living longer, um, a lot of it actually, we have agency over mm. about, but only about 20% of our longevity is linked to genetics. It's much more wow. about, yeah, it's much more about lifestyle and environment. Like, do you have purpose that you can point to on a daily basis that's greater than yourself? Mm. Uh, are you like socially connected with others? Uh, are you physically active? Uh, are you moving? Are you sleeping? Are you generally eating well? And then, you know, are you financially well? These are, these are factors here that you have agency over that has influence on these levers I just talked about. So it matters because you have control over them and place, my argument, and the research supports this, is that where you live is arguably the most important decision that drives this because that place that you've, you make home influences your purpose. It influences what you eat. It influences the the people you're around. I mean, exactly. I think about, you know, uh, Bill Gates, if he hadn't been born in the community he was in, yep. he wouldn't have had access to the very first computer really in a school that he could. So, I mean, Silicon Valley, that is a place that opportunities exist. So our places matter to us in these things. Um is it different at different seasons of our life? Do we see it impactful at different seasons or is it really throughout all the seasons it has this great influence? There's, there's a, a book I read recently by a psychologist. He's a business school professor at UCLA. And the name, exact name escapes me. It's a, I have mm. a blog on it on the website, but it's about your future self. Mm. And to think like John Marsh, mm -hmm in where you've rooted and been innovative in Alabama, like if instead you were in Austin or San Silicon Valley or Seattle, you would be a different person. I guess too, mean, because the opportunities don't exist. I mean, this place had to be broken for me to have the opportunity. And, and again, going back to some of the research, you are influenced by your friends, friends. If mm. you're, Friends, friends are uh, are obese. You're more likely to be obese if you're, you know, if your friends and in the friends, South. That's a real deal. It's a real deal. If your <laughs> friends, friends are, if your friends, friends are depressed, you're more likely to be. That doesn't mean that you, you know, end your friendships. I'm not suggesting that. Mm. I'm just saying, like, it's in large measure, we aren't. Uh, uh, we're not defining place. Place is defining us. 
Mm. And, and that matters at every chapter in life, John. So I have our oldest daughter right now. She's, she's off to college next month. Like her choice of going to college and which college, that's a decision about place. And the if people might, she meets and the conversation she has and the profession, just, I say every great season of my life has started with meeting somebody. And so did every bad one. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And the, in these things, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like your first job, you know, after when you graduate, uh, where you decide to raise your kids, if that's the chapter you have, where you meet your spouse and who they where are. You meet because... your spouse. Right. Totally. I mean, and, and, and I, I, my focus historically has been in that second half of life focused a bit more on empty nesters, like when you're retiring, mm -hmm. things like that. But this, this theme is true across life. And so I guess you started there because that's kind of where you were getting in the questions yes. where you just begun to work back and go, well, it works there too. And what about there? It's it that going back to your initial question, how'd you get there? That's exactly, that's part of the self-discovery that's happened is like, hold on a second. This is actually true for all ages. It's true for a bunch of transitions and life stages in life. And it matters enormously. And then to make it even bigger deal uh, I do believe the transformation that our society is going going from from the you know rural to industrial is part of the industrial revolution, and now this like technology revolution that we're going through now, it's like it's disru it's disrupted our lives. It's just, just disrupted our habits. It's disrupted our culture. It has it's pulled us away. Like it. it we are spending, there was some research done by the government came out, one of their consumer studies over the last decade on average, across all ages, people are spending 10 hours more alone, not with friends yeah. per, per week, not with friends, not with spouses alone. It's the streaming Netflix. It's, you know, you name it. Like these, the, are our, this was happening before the pandemic, but the pandemic put a bit of highlight on some of these things. So mm -hmm. I feel this, feel as though we're in this moment where in broad strokes, we're wealthier than we've ever been. Yet there's this malaise, this, this level of discontent, the sense that something's not right in our society. And, and, and I think place can be one of those things that can draw us together, much like the work that you're doing. Well, and, and I think, you know, even as we talk about different seasons, we say relationships are for some are for a season, some are for a reason, some are for a lifetime. I, I think that may be place too, right? I mean, sometimes we're at a place for a time. Like for Ash and I, we we got to the place where we wrestled the topic, do we give our hearts and the rest of our lives to this place? Are we going to stay here? Because we love other places. There's a lot of places we go that we feel transformed, that we feel, but but there is the whole first date thing and honeymoon sequence with, with, with place. But do you believe that there's for, have you seen that this seasonal thing, like I know you've obviously, you moved to Austin as we talked early in our thing. Like, how do you see picking a new place? I know you've created this online assessment that you've, I think that's incredible for helping people find a place. And so what's some of the things you found through creating this that, and guys, we'll have all this in the show notes. How do you find place and is place something that 
that uh, that we sometimes find the next place and the next place. So not not to make this more profound or complicated, but I think there is a somewhat personal, or if you're in a relationship, uh, in a context of your relationship, like what is your philosophy of place? And mm. this is where I think Wendell Berry has done some great, great work because I think he's one of the first to highlight this sticker versus boomer tension. And the idea is there are people that are stickers. You and Ash are like this, mm. where you've picked a place. And in fact, in, 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 uh, I was introduced to a quote by, by Fred Smith, who connected us, in that, that, uh, that, that Wendell writes, it's a long quote, so I can't re recount it right now. It's in the, the conclusion of my book. But it basically says, hey, there are some situations where if you're a sticker, you stick to place, like you become part of it. Like you belong there. It, it, it in some respects is spiritually impossible to move. Well, that's and, what I think people who are not stickers think. Have you lost your mind? Yes. Like my yes. oldest son, he tattooed our city's name on his arm. And he said, I, this is the return to sender label. Yes. And yes. He said, the greatest thing a young person can give us a place is his future. So what we have right now in the sticker versus boomer, the boomer one is you, you, you move to the next boom town. That's the comparison. And in this tension, our society by and large has been leading to the boom, the boomer piece, less the sticker. And, and you see situations, opportunity, you see, yeah, opportunity, particularly, uh, you know, dictated by today's economy and the gifts and skills you may have. You have situations where some people are stickers by choice. You, you and Ash are. Some are stickers by circumstance. Like they may not have the skills and they, they can participate and, and and move to some of these boom towns. And they got a job too good to leave and to, to feel like too bad to stay in some way. They're kind of trapped. They're trapped. Working They're... in a factory or something like I talked to That's a guy right. the other day. He's been at a local tire store here doing alignments 40 something years. Yeah. It's crazy. So you, so you have this tension between boom, stick, boomer, stickers and boomers. Mm -hmm. And and like, where do you fall on that? In some of the work I've done, I describe it as is somewhere or anywhere people. Mm. Are you a somewhere person where there are a limited number of places? Love that that you can identify. To, you know, I I can make roots here, or I already have roots here. Or are you someone that can really find yourself anywhere? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there are there there are implications for our society, which we can come back to a bit later. To go back to your question. Implications are more on the social capital side, but uh, going back to your question, the assessment it, it was in my book, and and people uh, loved it, and so um, so it's been helpful for those that are reading the book because they do the assessment there and they keep reading. But I wanted to make it accessible to people without necessarily having to have the book in hand, and and the assessment has been I think great, John, because what it's done is it's much like our conversation how we've been talking about it, it makes place bigger than people realize. And in the self-assessment helps them understand like where are they thriving in their current place and where are they not? It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to move. It may mean- It just brings clarity to it just like it would. And it, it causes you to codify things you may not have 
had that level of clarity before. That's right. That's right. And it, and it buckets it in those same areas of well-being I talked about earlier. So place itself, like the physical, mm -hmm. emotional, and psychological. And the second area is on purpose. And then social connection, physical well-being, and financial well-being. Because place impacts all of those. And well, and we don't realize sometimes how much, I mean, I have, I'm sure there's huge sacrifices to my career and other things I've made being here, just like the blessings has been, right? You can't go through every door. That's one of the things we learn <laughs> early on in life. You can't, can't go through every door. So you pick your doors. Right. And I know my wife and I, we've talked about the doors we choose. We want to, we want to be all in on the doors that we choose, but recognize that there may be circumstances that make us then choose a different door. Uh, so I think the, the, the process of doing that self-evaluation is a very good place to start. And on the assessment tool, it gives you some, depending on where you fall, some recommendations of things to think about. It's a, it's an age agnostic life transition agnostic, but it's a good place to start. When you then start to think about, well, well what do I do about it? You know, that becomes, uh, you need a plan, right? Yeah, it becomes a bigger <laughs> thing. And and I was sharing with you before we got on this uh, this this podcast that uh, th this evolution of the thinking, it's it's become much bigger than I thought it was. It's become more important than I thought it was. It, I think its cultural significance is very important. I think we have opportunities as individuals to choose and engage in place in a, in a more thoughtful way than we've done historically. And I think, I think we also have a very important role to create better places for oh, yeah. people, for all people to thrive. As it, as it goes back to this self-assessment of that's really designed for the individual pathway. So there's and a that, personal piece to it. And then you also have, you've kind of, you and I talked a little bit about how developers and, and people who work at the intersection of, of purpose and profits, this matters as well to flourishing. This is it's I think much more than 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 we than we than many people realize, John. I think this is one of the tensions, I think for investors, I think for developers. Developers are investors too. They're investors of their capital. They're investors of their time. So if you kind of bucket all that together, you've got this 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 tension to 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 sort through, which is how much of your activities are are solely determined by you know. IRRs and return multiples versus in what ways can, can we measure like social impact, you know, or kingdom impact. And, and I think that on the placemaking side, I, I feel like as a society, we have been undermining the, the impact that place-based place -based investments have on on the the health uh, and well-being of our communities. For example, we talked earlier about these trends around loneliness and a lack of social connection. Uh, the U.S. Surgeon General back in May he released an advisory. Advi advisories are not just given out willy-nilly. They're 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 an expression of an urgent challenge that needs to be addressed in a comprehensive way. And he released advisories specifically on loneliness and social isolation. He had six different recommendations. The first one is place-based. We yeah. got to create better places and a culture of engagement. That means we need to be more thoughtful about third places. You know, first place typically is, is, is home. Second place is work. 
Third place is which brings people together in your community. With the advent and acceleration of hybrid and remote working, people have lost elements of that second place and the relationships around those. It's put more pressure on your first place, particularly if your first place is where you're working. I know perhaps not every uh, spouse is excited to see their their spouse as often as they do in remote uh, and hybrid working. But then Boy, did the pandemic teach us this, right? It, taught it us gave that. us a crash course in this. It gave us a crash course. And we are now recognizing, and you're seeing this in the downtowns, that are struggling right now, the the doom loop I write a bit about on the Here.Life website, like what, how can place be restructured in ways that makes social connection easy? That makes- It's like engineered for success for us in that, just like anything else. We're not just, oh, I hope it happens. And maybe, maybe this will work. It's like, I think Steve Jobs even spoke to that so much when he thought about the Apple campus. He said it was that engineered serendipity that was the purpose of that place he created in his mind. That's exactly right. What he did is it was a circular. I haven't I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in person, but he, I'd love was, to. I haven't either. Yeah, it's you know, it's got it's a circular design, pools people in the middle. And their physical mailboxes are, they, as for example, that's part of the serendipity is that you get people going through and no matter what your role in the company, where you, your official work location is, you're having these, these unstructured interactions. What's happened mm. now? We are, we have lost probably orders of magnitude, these spontaneous uh, serendipity interactions. There, there's, there's a, a, a book uh, um, by, uh, by the name, by the uh, science, science, he's an anthropologist, I believe, but he's an expert in friendship called Robin Dunbar. Mm -hmm. he, his, there's, he's been credited with Dunbar's number. Dunbar's number is basically says we on average have the capacity to maintain uh, up to 150 friends. Mm -hmm. We have a, kind of one and a half of like each super close, a partner type of relationship. And then we have five uh, close friends and then another corresponding like 10 best friends. So it's kind uh, of these circles of intimacy these are circles. and connectivity, right? These circles. And it takes time to go from any one of those circles. If you're, if you're an acquaintance, to go from an acquaintance to a friend, a friend to a good friend, a good friend to a best friend, a best friend. Like it's a function of time. That's, I mean, it's more than that, but time's a big piece. So if you're not, investing in if you're not rubbing shoulders with uh these people you're you're not going to be able to develop these different friendships and that's again why we're it's like abs nobody gets abs on accident <laughs> right it's like i just no, had no. these abs pop up yeah yeah no that now my teenage son he, he seems to have born with them we'll see how long this last but but <laughs> but certainly not certainly not for me and and you're but you're right it's a function of what you invest in but it's not just what you invest in to your point going back to what you're saying about this investor mindset developer mindset certain places make it easy and and so i think or easier less difficult so like even where you are austin that magdalena hotel it's right down in the middle of all kinds of things and yes. so when they put it there, they weren't having to guess, would there be connectivity, community, people that, 
So it's one thing we say it's different in our communities, whether you have to build the wind or whether you're just setting the sail. Love that. That's, that's exactly, I love that. And, and so you have situations where you could have a situation that's working and they make it work better. Mm-hmm. And that might be an example of the Magdalena hotel. There was already a, a sense of place and they added, added to it, or you're in a spot where you have to create that sense of place. Marfa, and- Texas, there was no place going on there before they created that art. Yes. You know, artful expression there. Yeah. There's a number of examples. And and so I think it's is my thesis in part, John, is that technology is going to pull us more and more apart from each other. Mm. That as artificial intelligence, as virtual reality, as augmented reality play greater roles in our lives, that there is going to be this tantalizing uh, uh, source of entertainment and uh, a, a ultimately, an allure, it's an alluring, but ultimately a weak substitute for the messiness of real human relationships and interaction. I know Andy Crouch has done some good work in this area. We and even so see I, this uh, throughout. I mean, so, so is you, could your work, how does your work, um, do you see people using it, especially for people that are on, you know, listening to this podcast that are, thinking about developing, maybe building places that don't exist or making the places better. How can, how can they use your work to inform better projects and better, better design? So there's, so with the here platform, there's really two different areas right now. Mm -hmm. There's a consumer piece, which is giving people these tools, which get into a little more later on of making better, not just where are you, but how you make better decisions about the future. And I think that's really significant. Uh, for a number of different reasons. But then, and I call that the demand side. How can we create more informed demand so that people are making better decisions and they're leaning towards places that- They recognize that you put, that your place has these characteristics or that you care about these things, right? That's right. And you have an opportunity to invest in that. And then the the other side of that you're referring to, you like to describe the supply side, which is where are we creating or improving places that uh, help people thrive across the continuum and ideally across different socioeconomic status. So today what that looks like is I advise a number of real estate developers and operators across the country that are that are looking to be more thoughtful about how place can help people, but also has a good business model behind that. That comes in the form of uh, you know age-friendly communities, which are drawing in, trying to build a real community. Some of them actually are on the senior housing side or age restricted communities. How can those be built in a more better, better way that brings people together? Uh, some of it is working with investors as they're trying to figure out what's their thesis here that that in, in, in some cases is just about uh, uh, investment returns, but, they're, but they are investing in ideas that have, I would say this, the ideas are good enough that they also have these extra benefits for our society even though it, it doesn't, they don't feel like they're compromising their investment returns. And then others that are, are trying to really balance both in the work that they do. And so it's, I've had some, uh, several developers I've worked with that have read my book and they're like, we want to create this. Can you help us create this? One's a group in South Carolina I've been working with, several in the Northwest. So I think it, I see this really as a movement, John, where 
as a society, both how we create places and how individuals think about it, that we lean into this intersection of healthy longevity and place and place, not just physically uh, or fig- uh, but literally, but also figuratively, are you with your people? You right. know, are you, are, do you have purpose the way that you, you could and should, there's just a lot here as, as, as you get into it. So it's really, you know, both those sides. Well, and some of us find it by, you know, accident. We found a place we belonged and that, that worked. And, and I know I was talking to a, 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 a guy named Tom, Thomas Daughtery. He's a, he's, he designs beautiful spaces. He's, his, his company's called Interblock and he thinks deeply about these things. But what we were saying, he said, John, you picked your place. He said, I picked the people. He said, we decided we weren't going to live further than two blocks from our family. Yes. And so if he's got a lot of kids, which makes a big difference having, and I think about that, I watch friends and, and people on our team, Ty, my co-host on this, he doesn't have family local right now. And so when they want to travel or do something and they've got a good many kids, that's a, so there's, like you're saying, it, it connects all together. It's like, you know, it's almost like playing Jenga with your life. Yeah, no. You've got all these parts you're trying to, and you don't want the whole thing to fall apart. That's a great, that's a great analogy, John, because mm-hmm. it, it is like playing Jenga and, and it's made more complicated because particularly in the generation we live today, you, most families have some level of a diaspora where they're mm-hmm. just spread all over the place. Right. And, and how do you, with these different stages of life, how do you share life together when it's not as easy as just sharing every Sunday night meal? And a Zoom call is great. It's my mother is is two hours away. She's 80. um, And she, my grandson recognizes her and he screams her name when she comes up. So it's better, but it's not like in the presence of, in the presence of is the premium time on anything we look at. And so I love the way you're thinking about, I also love that you come up with a course where people can dig into this because we believe not having a plan is a plan. It's just a bad one. It's and what we care about is we we have a plan for faith, family, fun, fitness, and finance, our five Fs. And right. we say, imagine if your plan is more sophisticated for your finances than it is for your family or your fitness. I think you're missing opportunities because this suit we ride in is a billion. Well, you wouldn't take a billion for it. Steve Jobs would have gave you a billion for yours. Yes. I mean, this is a, a gift from God. Yes. And, and, and I love what you're doing is kind of drilling down longevity and quality and the interplay of that as it relates to where we live and who we live with, I think is so, so important. So part of what we're talking about when you use the Christian lens, this is part of this is around character formation. And I've, I saw the quote the other day, I forget who's given credit for it, but you're we're made up of the average of our five closest friends. And at least what that gets to is we, we pick up these, these habits, these values of the people that we spend the most time with. Mm. And, and that is place has a role in that has a role. Because spending time requires proximity in some ways. Requires proximity. So I think that there, um, 
what going back to what we said earlier, this journey. So when the book came out and, and been doing a fair amount of speaking about it in front of different audiences and got pushed a little bit, people said, well, this is great. It's, it's more involved than I thought. And so I got into it <laughs> and the book, you know, some people can take the book and run, run, run off and, and they make changes, but for some it's, it's harder. And particularly in the context of, of people that um, are in relationship. It's not just what you want; it's also what your partner, you know, wants. And how do you balance that? And and, and if and you so have that, kids, and if you have grandkids there, and if you there's have layers extended exactly. family, right? That and family legacy issues come into some of this. And then and then so then it became well, let's do a workshop. Uh, so I did an in person workshop hosted uh, by some um, real estate uh, brokers here in Austin, and some wealth advisors brought their clients. And, and that went really well and and with about three hours and and then have now done an online beta version of it uh, with people across the country. And, and then the feedback from that was, well, that was great, but actually we want to go deeper. And so that led to the creation of a, a, a beta course called the Right Place course where over four different sessions, videos, there's an online workbook. It, it allows people to just weigh in on this in a deeper way. But 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 land the plane. So at the mm -hmm. end of the course, you've got a got a place well, plan. Right. And, you know, you're like, okay, well, here's where I am on this journey. Here, back to your five Fs, the you know the equivalent over here with those five areas I shared earlier: place, purpose, social connection, and so on. You get a sense of kind of where am I on this? And then I use design thinking principles we talked about mm -hmm. earlier of imagining yourself in in multiple uh, threads. So there might be a thread that says, okay, I'm going to stay where I am. How do I make my current place better? Another one might be, okay, I'm actually, I'm going to relocate to a different part of the country for different reasons. And then, and then another one that could be something different. And the advantage of that process is it forces people to think more broadly than just how do I optimize where I currently am, which is where most people go to. And then from that, you then have a, a kind of an action plan mm -hmm. and then a series of resources to then use in that process. And and people, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to make that uh, commercially available here in the fall for people on a virtual basis to take this workshop. And then also that course, the the, the numbers of people are limited because you want to have this interaction. You get to learn mm -hmm. from each other in the course. It's um, kind of the buddy system that helps you connect with people that are around you that are wrestling with the same questions, right? That's right. And they, and they may be, what we found is people liked perspectives from different part of the country, but they liked being in a similar life stage. Right. So, 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 so maybe the decades they're in or something. Makes yeah. The decade, people. exactly. The decade they're in, maybe, maybe their relationship status too. It's a bit different if you're single than if you're coupled in, in depending on the stage and how you think about it, but that's exactly right. And I, and I, my hope, you know, for those uh, of your listeners too, that may be in the the financial like wealth management business, I, I do think that there's an enormous opportunity for wealth advisors out there because you can- It helps help. them get to the solutions they need to better plan the things that they do. It's almost like a, you know what? We were in uh, the Harrison Center in Indianapolis with our friends, Doug Wilson, and he saw that. had yeah. us hang out with the guy, this the folks there, and they said they did pre-enactments. They would go into a dead part of a community and pre-enact a coffee shop or something. Well, I wonder if this is almost like not a pre-enactment for someone's preferred future that, that these wealth advisors and others can say, hey, 
because you did this, now I can help you better prepare for what this has generated, the plan that you've created. I, I think what's totally, I think what's happening right now is there's a shift. I think it's 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 potentially super impactful for 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 Christian wealth advisors, but mm -hmm. the the trend's still there regardless. And that is it's 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 difficult uh to help people optimize wealth for this one hundred year life, which is like more and more financial advisors are solving for 50% of kids born today in the US are expected to live to at least 100. So you've got wow. this you got this complexity now of people living longer in a post pension social security needs to be you know reworked like the, the rules are changing on us. So that's that's not an immaterial exercise. However, people aren't looking to just optimize their financial wealth. They're looking to thrive over a longer life right. so that introduces these other set of questions around purpose, social connection, and so on. And then place invariably the physical element, invariably it shows up time and time again. So how should I think be thinking about- you well, know, If everything's place. right in your life and place is wrong, I mean, you go to, the, think about this, you get a all school year, you've been making A pluses and then you get a yes. zero on one. Your, your, your grade point average goes down considerably. Well, I think leveraging the wisdom and the the research and the just the push-ups you've done for years on this topic is powerful. And we've got every one thing I love about our community uh, uh, on the podcast is their learners. They love yeah. to learn, and uh, it's powerful. So um, the last thing before we jump into our kind of final questions it, that I have is is. What about the intersection? We talk a lot about the intersection of purpose and profits. Yeah. And 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 what about the intersection of purpose and place? Oh my goodness. Like I, I think both apply as we as we think about it. it could be the three Ps. Mm -hmm. Um I going back to part of our discussion earlier, and you look at this from a a historical perspective. We just, my wife and I, our family just spent some time in Europe. And so we were in cities, cities that had been transformed by the automobile, but not nearly to the same degree. Right. And you play it out here in the US, we've built a, a lot of our places by virtue of, of wealth, by virtue of mobility with automobiles. We've created uh a lot of our place-based infrastructure is dispersed. And, and some of the work that, you know, new urbanism has, has been doing for, for years and decades now of are there ways in which we can redesign some of our places that make it, you know, get easier for people to thrive over a longer life. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, some of those developments are, really successful because back to that supply demand thing we talked about earlier. There's so little of it. It's like, I mean, so it's, it's it. rare. It's rare. So I think put our business hat on right now. I think there's quite an opportunity to go into places and, and reimagine what we can do to have them be like better magnets for human flourishing. Absolutely. And that could be, Obviously, some you're you're a prime example of the work that you and Ash are doing, but this has this has a it has an urban context, 
This has a suburban context. This has a rural town context. You know, there, there are a bunch of different lenses here. And I think there's, there's, there's risk in some of it for sure, varying degrees of risk. But if we can go into places where we can deliver what people are looking for, and by the way, it leans to human flourishing because they, they know their neighbors, because they're more socially connected, because they're able to thrive in this remote working, because there's third places that are available for them to access, because there's intergenerational activity and integration in different ways. Like there's a lot there that, uh, that when people are comparing it to their current, the current lives where they may feel pretty socially connected and, and more house than they, they can manage or really afford, that there's a good business there. So you got profit, yeah. you got purpose and, and place is, is the platform So it's for it. So I think that there, it's happening today. I would love to have, I think you and I have talked about this. I'd love to have Praxis and other groups like put even more of a spotlight on this for to inspire developers and investors say this is this is this is a great business opportunity and one that has tremendous impact we'll see that in the future this is too important not to uh it is you're on you're you're standing on a rocket ship in so many ways because place matters and if we can live anywhere where do we live so i'm and, grateful and, for and and, 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 lastly, and how do we live you know one of the one of the reasons uh i named yes. the company here H-E-R-E's, it's not just choosing that place, it's being present in that place. Mm. So is, are you really, are you are you truly part of the place? And, that, and that's a decision, you know, that you, you right. make with your- with your Raise time. your hand. I keep telling people, they say, you know, somebody should fix this place. I said, well, let me tell you, you keep saying somebody, you may be the somebody. That's what <laughs> happened to us. And so yes. I love what one of my mentors, Wes Perry from Midland, Texas, a former mayor there, and has been so kind to me and loving. He always he told me, he said, John, you know what today is? I said, no, sir. What is it? He said, it's the best day of your life. Yeah. He would tell his kids, and it really is seeing how we can only live in today. All right. Lightning round. Yep. Who do you know about in the world doing great work that we should know about? Or what what should we know about that you know about? Uh, I have so many answers to that, but I will, uh, I'll narrow it to one. And the gentleman's name is Alan Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M. He started uh, an organization in Austin called Mobile Lows and Fishes mm. that has evolved now. So it has a branch called Community First. It has been profiled in the Today Show. It's been featured in... Uh, South by Southwest and Austin, he has created a community. Um, it is it started off with uh, kind of mobile home mobile homes mm -hmm. and has evolved into purpose built kind of accessible dwelling units and so on, where he has created a community that initially has really targeted the homeless population in in the U.S. and or particularly in Austin because that's where it is. I'd like to have the model be taken other places. But what he's done is he's rethought uh, what does it mean to not just have housing, but to be part of a community, hmm. to be socially webbed together. And so at this point, it's been wildly successful. They've been, they've been growing. They've got some, some substantial uh, uh, gifts from large foundations in Austin. Uh, they are, I, I have friends from our church that have now 
decided to go move into this community. They're not homeless. They want to be part of this community. So I think they've created this place of intersection like we talk about, and they've done it in a way that even gives the broadest sense of opportunity, um, you know, for even when you've got homeless and very affluent people hanging out, magical stuff can happen. Totally. If they're, uh, if you're ever in Austin, want to get connected, let me know. Uh, my email is Ryan, R-Y-A-N at here.life and I can connect you to them, but you'll see them. That's mobile loads and fishes in Austin. So that, awesome. that, if I would pick one thing that I think is interesting that intersects our conversation, I think that would be Alan's an interesting guy. Okay. What have you done? We should do. So my uh, brother-in-law is, uh, is Henry Cloud who is written a bunch of books and speaks and he more than anyone else uh, has is to blame for me writing the book. <laughs> and, and he had, he has a, 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 a phrase that he uses uh, called everyone has a book. Everyone has a book in themselves. It, it has a book in them. It's a matter of kind of giving it life. And so I would say if there's an experience I'm sure a number of your listeners, they, they share ideas. A number of them, I'm sure are speakers, they, 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 they're likely authors. But for me, this exercise in writing a book and forcing me to really think about ideas in a more granular way. And then I do this, I write this blog every other week called Write Here, W-R-I-T-E Here. Mm-hmm. Actually, I get my kids to edit them. I just... This idea of forcing regular, deeper, creative expression of ideas, like that has that has shaped me. And I think it's an opportunity to varying degrees, you know, for everyone. We're writing a book right now and we're we're six or seven months into it. And I can say if I threw it away when I'm done, I'll never be the same. It has it, it's been it's I, I say it's more important what you're becoming than what you're achieving. And it's so important. It's a becoming thing. And lastly, we know about your book. What else have you read that we should read? Uh, There, there's, there's so, so much, John. Uh, I would say that um, I am, I'm pretty obsessed right now with this, this shift our society is, is, is taking and what the implications are for, for social capital. And what I mean by social capital, I write about a bit in the book, but it's this idea that there is a valuable currency in our social interactions and relationships. Mm-hmm. There are bonding, there's bonding social capital where you find people that are similar to you and, and, and you the world's a better place because you have these connections. And there's bridging social capital where there's people who are different than you. That you're able to have connections with, so I that's that's that general topic is one I've been leaning in for quite some time. I'd say Robert Putnam is a sociologist, recently retired from Harvard. He wrote a book called um, a book called Bowling Alone, which is was written about 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but but is is more true today than um, than it's than it's uh, ever been. He wrote another book. Uh, a little bit more recently called called Our Kids and mm-hmm. talks about changes in our society 
such that we're looking out more for our own kids than other kids that are out there that we used to think would be our kids. So I'd recommend, you know, those two books. I mentioned Andy Crouch earlier, who's a Christian thought leader involved in Praxis. He wrote a book uh, last year called The Life We're Looking For, mm-hmm. which uh, which talks about these changes in technology and how it can take us away from what the real kind of meaning of life in and opportunities for thriving, not surprisingly, uh, a place has a, is a, a, a theme in his book. And uh, the last one I would say is one I just read, which is a book called Poverty by America, which mm-hmm. is uh, written by a professor at Princeton called Matthew Desmond. It too, he talks about place in it and the way that place has driven uh, unequal opportunities for people. So a lot of my, I do I do read some fun books, but I, I am, I'm a bit obsessed right now with the ways in which our culture has, is shifting and it's having a profound impact in our relationships, which matter for us at the individual level, but matters at the societal level. And I think the more that we can understand that, I think the better informed will be to create solutions to make uh, make uh, uh, life uh, our world a better place. Ryan, you have blown my socks off. I'm glad you're obsessed. Your obsession is splashed over on us today. And so we may have to do a second podcast at some point. Guys, check out everything Ryan's doing. It'll add tons of value. He's doing the push-ups and trying to share and make a difference with this content he's creating and, and, and really... I think he's revealing how important this foundation of place is to a new generation and in a new way. Thank you so much, my friend. God bless. Yeah, my pleasure, John. This is fantastic.